I believe we are now officially live on Facebook. How are you, your graces? Excellent. I guess, it, would it be graces or grace eye? Graces? <laughs> grace eye. Grace eye. Because the uh, uh, Latin word that ends in U.S. Um, or U.M. goes to um, I as a plural and graces is not Graces is not. No, hold on one second. Sorry, I'm muting that. Yep, sorry. <laughs> I had to mute the video. The, the plural of stadium is stadii, but stadiums is widely accepted. So just like the plural of medium is media, not mediums. So. <clears throat> so we're stuck with graces then. Graces yep. is a, gra a brace of graces. Yes. <laughs> well, Remember, we. Yep. Remember, it leaves the three, leave them be. What is that? Leaves of three. <laughs> That's good. Oh, is that, is, what is leaves of three? Is that poison ivy? Yeah, yep. poison ivy, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what any of that looks like. I've actually and, never had poison ivy and, in my life. And strawberry leaves come in, come in leaves of three as well. Oh, see, that's misleading. That's not cool. Leave them be. <laughs> All right. Well, we are officially live and how is everybody? I know we started to get into our introductions. We have Duke Sean here with us talking about our training methodology that he uses, um, as well as Duke Eliahu. That is tricky to say, isn't it? Yes. Eli is good. All right. But you know, it's so much fun when you actually say the whole name. Eliahu is actually really fun. I like it. I like yeah. it. It's a fun name to say. It is a fun name to say. So we're going to get started in our traditional way of just a silly question just to kind of pick your brains, see how you think, and then we'll dive into the good stuff. So I have drawn from my trusty bag. I have no idea what I drew, but this is what it says. Would you rather have skin that changes color based on your emotions or tattoos appear all over your body depicting what you did yesterday? Um, skin that changes with your emotion. Uh, I'm a, I, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the octopus or octopi. Octopi. More than of them. <laughs> um, the octopus is an amazing creature that is able to uh, change its skin tone, texture, color, everything to to perfectly blend in with whatever it is that it's that it's next to. So I guess I would I would definitely go with skin that changes. Um, I don't know if I would want that <laughs> my texture to change with my emotion. Mm. Um, because uh, I think uh, I probably wear my emotion enough on my sleeve as it is, but uh, I would definitely like uh, like skin octopus changing. skin. Yeah, but aren't octopus o octopi? Aren't it's, they yes, like <laughs> octopi. <laughs> octopi? Aren't they technically like aliens? Like their DNA is yes. like not even of this they world. They should be alien. Yes, they are aliens. Yeah. They are. I mean, I don't know the scientific fact behind that, but you know, there's there's a lot of anecdotal evidence to suggest that they are aliens. They're aliens. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> We have aliens among us. All right, Duke Eliyahu, what is your answer? Well, since my um, emotions are generally pretty obvious to people anyway, that would not be a difference. My emotions are obvious to people, I think, particularly when I'm not showing my emotions, that it's pretty obvious that I'm not showing emotion, therefore I'm. There's a reason. There's a Moving. reason for it. Yeah. There's a motive, motive yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, 
Yes. Hmm. All right. So you're both on the same page with that one. Yep. All right. So for everybody watching out here again, we're going to recap. Duke Sean is bringing us his training methodology this evening. A few weeks ago, uh, the coach's corner did touch on uh, each individual style. So tonight, Duke Sean will be breaking out his personal session. So feel free to ask questions as we go through. We may or may not be able to answer all of the questions. Do not take it personally. Um, if you have questions that are pending, head over to the coach's corner. We will put the link up for you if you need to reach out to them and get those questions answered. So without any further ado, shall we begin? Oh, yes. All right, I'm gonna spotlight you, Duke Sean. It is yours to take away. Okay, so for those that have been living under a rock for the last 15 years or so, um, I am Duke, Duke Sean from the Kingdom of Artemisia, um, and I have been training at a known world level uh, in our sport uh, for at least 15 years. And one of the hallmarks of what I teach is uh, training methodology uh, for our sport. Um, I'm a big believer that, uh, you know, you can say a lot about different fighting styles, you know, fight better but but really there's there's not there's not really one real master style there are only master practitioners um and you know there's it's it's hard to to say that that any fighting style is, is better or worse and so i'm not really as i'm teaching i'm not really teaching my fighting style necessarily um but one of the things that i am trying to do is is i'm not i'm not trying to teach people how i fight although there there is a component of that to what i teach but I'm absolutely trying to change the society in, in how we train, not what we train, but how we train it. Um, <clears throat> for the longest time in our sport, for the first at least 40 years in our sport, um, our training methodology basically amounted to what I refer to as a smash and bass tra training methodology. It's something that um, is often referred to as a pain management training methodology um, there's there's a number of, of different um, different names for it, <clears throat> um, some of which tongue in cheek, some of which more um, more uh, to the point. And the 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 essence of that is that you you know you take people and you put them into armor and you send them out onto the field and somehow they magically glean the information from the experience. And my experience has been that that is just a really horribly ineffective way, inefficient way to actually teach somebody how to do something. Um, <clears throat> and so I, I am un unashamedly um, trying to change how we teach our sport uh, in the SCA. Um, I don't care what you're learning, um, but the, the process of, of learning something, if you follow a good solid process, um, you are going to learn whatever, whatever the content is. And so that's the, the gist of, of what I'm doing in it. And it is my soapbox, if you will. It's, it's one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of. And everywhere I've been when I teach people how to learn something and how to teach, um, invariably, those fighters get better as, uh, you know, following, following a training process rather than just go out and fight and, and, and hope it all works out. <clears throat> so as opposed to the training method, tra the smash and bash training methodology, the methodology that I use basically is what I refer to as isolating and eliminating deficiencies. Um, 
we learn more from our failures than we do our successes. That is a, a scientific fact. Um, and when, uh, when we take, we take that failure and for us and failure generally comes down to when you lose a fight, right? Um, and we can take that as a, as a starting point, as a deficiency, because rather than trying to focus on trying to get better at the things you're already good at, um, that makes you good at one, one specific portion of your fight. Um, but if we can take your deficiencies and take the things that you are bad at and turn those into strengths and, and make those better, um, then you basically just keep chipping away at the parts of your fight that are deficient. Um, and, and we just get better at those things and it becomes an incremental improvement, um, in, in your entire fight. So isolating and eliminating deficiencies. So we're going to find out what is wrong with your, with your fight. And then we're going to follow a training process, uh, to eliminate those deficiencies. Um, and when we're talking about isolating deficiencies, um, you have to understand that I am coming to this from a perspective of there, there is always something wrong with your fight. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that I'm here to tell people that they're just awful fighters and, and, you know, not do anything about that. Right. But I'm going to focus on what is wrong with your fight. And I'm always assuming that there is something wrong with your fight. There has to be something wrong with your fight. If there's not something wrong with your fight, then you are a complete fighter in every imaginable way and you don't need us. And to some extent, we don't need you um, either. So um, there's always something wrong with your fight and we're going to break that down. So when you come to me and ask me for help and you ask me to analyze your fight and, and to help you get better, I'm not going to tell you about all the great things that you're doing well. I may mention them in passing, um, but it, it is in passing because I'm going to uh, laser focus on what is wrong with the fight and then we're going to go from there. So we're going to isolate and eliminate those deficiencies. And we're going to use those failures as a starting point for what you need to fix. So in order to have a solid understanding of what your deficiencies are, um, I need to ask you to, to be open to those possibilities and open to um, being, having those deficiencies exposed. And to do that, um, a core concept that, that, that I ask people to do is to redefine your victory conditions. Um, what does it take for you co to consider your fighting experience to be a success? If the only measure of success you have is, is to win a tournament, um, especially if that measure is to win a coronet list or a crown tourney, if that is the only measure of success you have, you are going to be grossly disappointed in a vast majority of your fighting experiences because only one person can, can win the list. And statistically speaking, it is not going to be you every time. So we need to understand what it takes for you to consider your, your fighting experience to be a success. Um, and, and understanding that winning is, winning is always better than losing. Um, make no mistake. I am not, preaching a losing mentality. I am not telling you that it is okay to lose. Losing sucks. Um, winning is always better than losing, but losing is a fact. And 
it is going to happen. And when it happens, we need to recognize that as an opportunity um, to advance our, ourselves in our sport. We have to look at it as, as, a, um, as a point of, of deficiency. And, and it's not, you know, it's not a character assault. It's not a judgment of, of you being a bad person because you didn't do well in a tournament. All of those failures are really just data points. Right? You're just, every tournament you have is an opportunity to basically do data collection, data mining, to find out what is wrong with your fight. Um, if you go, if you have a double elimination list and you go to and out in that list, um, it is really easy. Um, if, if your, if your victory conditions are, you know, I want to go five rounds in the list and you don't go to, and you only go to and out, it's really easy to just get down on yourself about, you know, not having met your expectations. Um, and so <clears throat> we need to just keep those victory conditions realistic. And if you go to and out, um, well, that means that there are at least two fighters that should be able to tell you what your deficiencies were. That is two opportunities you have from that one tournament to, to make yourself a better fighter. And if you accept those, if you accept the, if, if you just have a better understanding of your, re, your victory conditions and understand that the true success in our sport is, is not winning a tournament it is being a better fighter than you were the week before or the day before it's making progress in our sport and that progress cannot always be determined strictly by wins and losses and so we need to we need to just take a different look at that um and and accept that um you can you can have um you, you can have less success one tournament to the next and, and still have made progress uh, in your, in your sport. Um, there's a, there's a saying uh, about the, the stock market where um, past results do not determine uh, future returns or are not a guarantee of future returns. Um, just because you do well in one tournament doesn't mean you should expect to go that far in every tournament. And so you need to be open to that possibility that failure is going to happen and it's, it's understanding that that is a valuable tool. That failure and those deficiencies is valuable information. And that is what we use to engage the training process um, to eliminate those deficiencies to make ourselves better fighters. So the training process itself, in any learning endeavor, there is basically three phases of uh, of, of learning. There's training, there's practice, and there's an evaluation. Um, the essence of it is that the training is where you are taught how to do the thing. That is the instructional portion of it. Practice is the work that you do on your own at home to get better at the thing. And then the evaluation is where you find out how much progress you have made in learning the thing thus in re-engaging the, the training process beginning with this training. If you, if you do the evaluation, you find out you still have deficiencies, you go back to the training and you re, you, you're, you're taught again how to, how to do the parts of it that, that, you, uh, that were deficient. So, <clears throat> um, and understanding too that, that this is a never-ending cycle of learning. 
Um, it may be that as you're, as you're getting this evaluation and you, you may find out that you need more work on the one thing. And so you keep going back and you work on that thing. Ideally, as you get to tournament, which is the, the most consistent form of evaluation that we have, it's not the best evaluation we have, but it is the most consistent evaluation we have. So if you, I, I ideally from one tournament to the next, um, even if you don't go further in the tournament, if you are, um, if you've made progress in one of those areas, um, then it may be time that exposes a, the next greatest efficiency in your fight. And so then you can start on that. If you still need work on the thing you've been working on, say you're working on uh, footwork um, and you know, you go to a tournament and your footwork still needs work. We can go back to that. We can go, we can re-engage the training process. We can teach you again. We can do more drills and then you can do more homework on that. Um, but if you get progress on your footwork and now your stick mechanics need work, we can go back to the Pell and we can teach you how to do the, the mechanics better. We can find better mechanics for your, for your body. And then you make progress on that. And then it's just this never ending cycle. And sometimes it's you working on the same thing over and over again. Sometimes it's ideally it's you moving on to, something else it's you you are honestly failing in different and unique ways and but now that you are failing in different ways that is in and of itself progress and when we look at that from our victory conditions progress is the real the real goal um, because eventually body count in our sport is just kind of a convenient byproduct of making progress as a fighter. But if you focus on body count, um, you're never really going to be able to, uh, to learn what you, what you need. And if you just kind of ignore the body count side of it, then you can, um, you can just chip, chip away at it for the sake of being a better fighter. And then one day you just look back and there's a whole string of dead bodies behind you and you don't know how they got there. Um, so if we think about the training process uh, um, as a, as a, like a college math class um, in, in a college math class, you have a, a professor who will get up on the board and they will demonstrate how to solve an equation. They'll write an equation up on the board. They will go through the steps to solve that equation. That is training. That is, that is where you were taught how to do the thing. Um, then you do practice where you have, you have your homework. You will have, uh, you'll have your, your textbook. You may or may not have answer, uh, access to the answers available to make sure that you came to the right conclusion, you got the right answer. But you're gonna go home and you're gonna do that work on your own. You're gonna do a series of problems, as many as it takes um, for, for you to, to get an understanding of what that concept is. And um, you, you don't have the benefit of the teacher telling you step-by-step -step how to do it. This is where you do it on your own. And then at some point, uh, usually say a midterm. So you'll have a midterm uh, test, that's your evaluation. So you come into this midterm test and you, you're tested on the information that you've studied and that you've been taught on and that you practice. You do this evaluation. And at that evaluation, this is where we find out where your deficiencies are. And if you, anybody who's taken any, any test of this nature, you know that when the test results come back, assuming that you did not get all of the answers correct, which are the questions that you are immediately going to focus on? Are you going to look at the problems that you got right and pat yourself on the back and tell you how great you were? Or are you, or are you going to go, 
to the questions you got wrong. And invariably, we always go to the questions we got wrong because the, that is a point of failure. That is where we, we, we have clearly identified a point where we did not understand the subject material well enough to, to get it right. Um, success we take as the natural order of things. We expect to get it right. We expect to do to get it correct. And so you, you look at some of the answers you got correct and you're just gonna gloss over those and pass those right by, not understanding that you didn't necessarily get that right because you understood the material thoroughly. You may have just guessed right. Um, and, and that's great and it looks good on your, on your score, but it doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you understand the material any better. And so that's the value of that evaluation is, is um, isolating the, the deficiencies. And that's where, that's where the process starts over again. So to basically summarize in uh, about 10 words or less, my entire training methodology amounts to this. Isolate and eliminate your deficiencies. Redefine your victory conditions. And then fix those things through a training process, which involves training, practice, and evaluation. Uh, so that's the gist of it. Um, and so I'm going to uh, turn this over to my co-host, uh, Duke Eliyahu, who is a uh, college professor um, who uh, we've brought in for his expertise in curriculum development and understanding um, how, uh, how, how, people, how people learn things. So uh, Eli, I'm going to turn it over to you. Great. Thank you very much. So um, uh, Duke Sean is doing a lot of things according to really sound pedagogical principles. And just by way of background, um, I was certified in secondary education as an undergrad and then, but before I got a job in teaching, I got a job in, in uh, advertising and worked in that for a long time until eventually I came back around to teaching for 11 years now at the college level undergraduate and graduate um, studies. And <clears throat> I too, when I started uh, fighting in the SCA, which was about 41 years ago, it was the training, the teaching part of it consisted of putting you in armor and hitting you until you figured out how not to get hit. And it's amazing that I or anybody else stuck with it, but <clears throat> I did along the way meet several people who had organized their content and their approach into a system. And a couple of things, just to comment on what, what uh, Duke Sean is talking about, the things he's done very well are first of all, understanding the context. Who's the student? Who is, uh, where, are, where are they? Is this an um, ongoing relationship between the teacher and the student? Is this a one-time thing? Hey, somebody approaches you, can you help me with something? Show me what I'm doing wrong. That's a different context. So you have to understand what the agreement is between the teacher and the student. And he's assumed that as the, the base level of, uh, of what he's talking about. And then he's organized his content into a system. And I, I differentiate between, and semantics are impo always important, defining your terms and definitions. But he's 
he uses the, the he refers to a, a system or I refer to a system rather than a style because people will emulate a style without understanding and and I, we've all seen a lot of that oh this guy's successful using this thing I'll pick it up I'm trying to emulate but without it's emulation without understanding is always a problem so a system a, an organized um, structured content uh, and approach to doing anything is a system and there's a process and as he mentions focusing on teaching students to focus on the process the process of what they're doing the process of improvement not focus on the end result of victories or winning that's always the byproduct focus on the process and that result will take care of itself the string of dead bodies as he said so the uh, another part is then once it's a system building the presentation and the lessons of that content in a logical order. So each lesson builds upon the previous lesson. And then there are evaluation stages to determine which lessons need revisiting or reinforcement. And so it's not, it's not a, hey, I've learned this and I learned this and I learned it. And it's, it, it's always uh, um, revisiting. And, and progress is just sometimes described as a, a helix where you you learn something and it, you learn more and it comes around and then you find your back revisiting what you started with but at a higher level and you're refining that and and so on and so on and <clears throat> so i remember from a um so i also used to do um a lot of theater and uh, a great director I talked to about, I was an assistant director and I was talking to, to this director who said, it's the temptation when directing is to focus on the, the parts of the performance of the actors who are doing great and to really work with them and help them be better. But to, that makes it for a very uneven performance. If you focus on the parts of the performance that are weakest, the performances, the actors, the parts of the play that are weakest and help those get better, then you, you have something that's overall of a higher quality. And by analogy, the same thing is true of an individual seeking excellence in or learning in any endeavor and fighting included. If you only focus on the things you do well and keep focusing on those, you then what about the things that your weakest at you need to visit those and that's part of the part of the assessment uh, uh phase i forgot what that that um evaluation evaluation thank you that evaluation phase where you're you're looking at where what where the deficiencies are and that's essential to having a, a higher level of performance in in everything and <clears throat> so i think the 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 final thing that I want to mention in terms of what you're doing right, and this will, I'm going to do a, a presentation on lessons from the classroom for teaching SCA fighting. And one of the things, one of the biggest problems that any teacher, professor, any instructor has is students often treat every class like a standalone experience. 
I just need to get through this class, the final exam and get a passing grade and I'll go on to the next one. And they forget what they learned in the previous class. And that's, that's a problem. It's also a problem when you're teaching fighting, for example, where you spend time and you get somebody um, working on improving a certain thing, maybe the footwork or something, and then you start working on something else and the footwork goes to hell. So you have to go back to that and you have to, I think of it as stacking the, the skills. You have to go back and make sure that the lower levels are still there. There was, there used to be a, an old um, variety show or vaudeville act called a plate spinner. And the fellow had a stick and a plate and he would put the stick in a stand and spin the plate. And then he put another stick in a stand and spin the plate and bouncing and when it's spinning, it's, it's balanced on. And he would keep doing that, but he had a whole row of these and he had to, as he kept adding them, he had to go back to the first one and, and spin it some more because it would start to wobble until he could finally get them all spinning all at the same time. And in a lot of ways, I think of that as a, a good analogy for, for learning because it's, it's too easy to focus on the thing, the plate I'm spinning now and forget about the first one. And if you forget about the first one, it falls, then the others start to fall as well. So I think um, Duke Sean has organized his content in a way that's really good with um, um, what I what I think of as as sound pedagogy from classroom instruction, which, as I mentioned, when I started, it was just put you in armor and hit you till you don't get hit. And as I have being a teacher by training and now by profession, uh, I have have thought about how to apply sound teaching principles to fighting. And so that's really a large part of what, what, this, what this event, what we're doing here, this series is about, is how to help people be better teachers. And being a better teacher helps you be a better student as well. So yeah. that's my analysis. Thank you, sir. That's, uh, I really like the, uh, the analogy of the helix. I hadn't, hadn't heard of it that way. I uh, really, really like that because yeah, you're right. It, 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 it keeps coming back around just at a higher level. Um, yep. that's, a, that's a great, great way to put that. You're welcome. So, um, so Vesper, uh, that's, uh, that's the gist of the content. Uh, so at this point, um, we can open up the field to, uh, any questions that might be out there. All right. Um, as of right now, let's see. It looks like a lot of support for what you're saying. They're really liking it. I don't see any specific questions at the moment. So in the meantime, I'm going to ask you guys a fun question right that has on. nothing to do with anything. Yeah. Okay. And then please, by all means, um, do ask your questions. We want to hear them. Uh, the Coach's Corner is awesome. So you should utilize their resource of knowledge as much as possible. All right. Hmm. What animal would be the most terrifying if it could speak? Octopus. 
I mean, actually, you have a thing it for wouldn't. <laughs> I, I, I like that. But I mean, I just—it's a great animal. Um, <laughs> if I think if it could speak, it's not so much that it would be terrifying, but uh, we would. We would. I, I personally welcome our our octopi lord masters. Um, <laughs> would you ask they're, them they're if they're aliens? <laughs> I would. But they might. Because, they might kill you because you know. They're just. They are just ridiculously smart animals. Um, it just it never fails to impress me. And um, and if yeah, if they could speak, um, yeah, what what an octopus could tell us. They probably just tell us we're doing it all wrong. Probably, probably. Duke Eliyahu, what about you? Well, I don't know that I would say that any hearing any animal speak would be terrifying. Uh, I think. I, it'd be fascinating and it'd be absolutely fascinating i think uh, I'd, I'd love to be able to talk to our cats and our dog but not to be terrified just to <laughs> just to understand them to have hear in their voice not the voices that we imagine for them but um no i don't i don't know that hearing hearing any animal express their thoughts and true nature would be too terrifying ter yeah. terrifying not the hearing <laughs> them speak the animal itself in certain circumstances could, could be. absolutely be terrifying but um but not hearing them think i'd be fascinated i do not want my dogs to talk they one of them has a lot of sass she's constantly giving me sass so no thank you on the animals talking to me they have... they communicate pretty clearly uh in, they a, do. in ways. you know exactly what they're thinking typically yeah. <laughs> all right we have a question from the audience um okay. the question is do you pull from any um a Agility Scrum software development techniques for the training practice evaluation model. This person is a certified Scrum master, and what you describe resonates very strongly with those systems. Um, I, I, I'm not really sure I understand the question. Is that on Facebook? It is on Facebook, yes. Yeah. So I, I can, to, I can talk a little bit. Okay, sure. sure, go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and spotlight you. So in my um, experience before... Um, academia, um, working in advertising and marketing, and as a consultant, too, I've certainly de dealt with project managers who work in that agile system and um, worked with a lot of good project managers. And I think in a lot of ways, my approach to managing my own work is, is and, and projects with teaching and, and writing projects and other things, very much in keeping with, with those principles. Um, so yeah, there's a, rather than say, you know, it's drawn from that or it relates to that, I would say rather that just like the martial, all the martial arts, there's, or philosophies or um, teaching systems, there's, I often look for the the things that are similar in very different systems because that's where I often find something worth exploring more deeply, a grain of truth, a grain of something that's really um, resonates 
um, with everybody. So I, I came across a uh, little booklet, a little manual of Japanese stick fighting years ago. Um, and except for the clothes they're wearing, the photographs look like they could be posing for Fiore because the, the way they move and, the, and, and what they're saying, it's, it's, it's very similar. There are similarities. And, and I say there are similarities in effective teaching pedagogy and instruction and um, project management and agile and, and those sorts of things. Yeah, and I think in the same way that say I drew on my teaching background uh, in the classroom, applied it to SCA fighting, I absolutely encourage you to draw on your own professional expertise in whatever area you have and apply it to teaching, teaching fighting, the SCA, your own learning process. Because you can, or the teaching is not just a teacher forcing knowledge into a student. It's a cooperative, collaborative process between the teacher and the student. The, teach, the student has to be actively engaged with their own learning. And so use that process to guide your own learning. Set up your own sprints for, uh, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna focus on this. And uh, just keeping in mind that you'll revisit that again and again and again. It's not like you'll complete something and it's done and you're onto the next and you'll keep revisiting it. Yeah, I think um, I'm not really familiar with with uh, with Scrum, but from a software development perspective, um, I, I have often referred to this as um, um, I, I think I think SCA combat should be more open source rather than uh, proprietary. Um, if that kind of helps address that, I think um, as Eli was saying, um, you know, I, I've said a long time that. Uh, the more you are exposed to to the differences, the more you understand the commonalities. So getting um, getting all this information from as many different sources as, as you can uh, gets you closer and closer to like what could be considered the truth of it all. Um, and uh, so yeah, I look at it as, as more proprietary or more open source and less proprietary. So we're we're all in this together and. There's, there's no one right way to do it. Uh, there are a lot of bad ways to do it. Um, but, um, but, you know, you, 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 keep, you keep asking the same questions from several different instructors, and yes, you are going to get different answers, and that's kind of the whole point. We have a question regarding um, focusing a student. How do you help refocus a student when they're all over the place, or is that entirely up to them? So was that the one we had in the Zoom chat there? Um, that is in our Facebook chat. Okay. So how do we, so what's the question? How do we refocus somebody? How do we refocus a student or you, not me, trust me, not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there will come a time. I don't know about that. <laughs> how do you refocus a student or is that entirely up to them? Uh, it's partially up to them. Um, uh, it, it comes back to victory conditions. Um, uh, for, for me, it's, um, it's, it's occasionally having to remind my students, um, that, um, that not all victories are created equal and your, your losses are not as, not as, uh, bad as they're not as devastating as, 
as you think they are in the moment um, and that, uh, that it's just information and um, getting people to have faith in the process because, you know, again, you know, fighting style is very subjective and it's very personal and, you know, everybody's got their own fighting style, you know, you know, everybody out in the mid realm that, that, um, that fights the A-frame because Bronos is fighting the A-frame. Well, they're all fighting it very differently than, than, than he has. They, they, they think they're fighting, you know, that, that system and they're emulating it and they're, um, but, you know, but his, his style is his style. And, um, and you, you can, you can emulate that. Um, but you can, you know, you don't, if you don't have his boxing background, then you can't do that. Um, you know, there's, there's certain things that you just don't have the experience to do. Um, so for refocusing that, you know, like I said, the style is, is very subjective, very personal, but the process is, is proven. Um, and we've got several people here in the zoom session that if we run out of questions, I might hit up a couple of these guys that I've worked with who, who found success once I taught them, um, about the process. Um, the process is proven. And if you have faith in the process and you can tell your students, just keep doing the work and keep going through the process, the process will, will bear fruit eventually. Great. We have uh, a lot of questions coming in, actually. Yay. Yay. Wonderful. Um, audience participation. Perfect. Yes. So, <laughs> one question is, what advice would you recommend to folks that are just starting to teach? How do they come up with their own methodology? Um, and that's the thing about this method it is, like, it's pretty, it's, it's not mine. It's just, it's just good, solid, as Eli put it, pedagogical. It's a, it's a structure. It's a system. Um, it, it, whatever, it, it's not the what you're teaching, it's the how you're teaching it. Um, so if you're teaching using this process, training, process, or training, practice, and evaluation, if you, if you start with just those three things, um, those are, are going to reveal itself, right? When you're, when you're looking at the training portion of it, um, I have plenty of uh, drills that I do um, for different portions of the fight. And for that one person that just does not get it from the from the, uh, the, the the drill that I happen to be doing right there, I can make another drill. So again, that's that's the the content of it is going to be different. You can make up your own drill for footwork. Um, you know, I use what I call a compass drill, which is basically an eight point compass on the ground. And I just recently realized that that there's this uh, hourglass uh, footwork thing that I've never used before. It's not the what you're learning, it's how you're learning it. And the how you're learning it is universal. Absolutely universal. Um, this, it, when you apply these, this as a methodology, um, you do the training, you give somebody a drill, and then you send them home and you make them, you, you have them do that, that work on their own. Um, and then you keep doing that and you check back on them. And then eventually you put them into a tournament and you find out how, how much progress they've made on that thing. Perfect. I, and if I can sure. um, add to that, I would say in the same way that what we're talking about, somebody learning fighting, it, we're not saying, and I know there are some questions here about, well, what do you do if you don't have somebody to train with? But that's a separate question. If you do have somebody to train with for fighting and they're taking you through a process of learning how to fight and you're just starting to learn to teach, 
you should work with ideally a good teacher of fighting who can take you through the process of learning to teach because fighting and teaching are different skills and somebody who can fight well would be a content expert subject matter expert but doesn't mean that they can convey that it's learning how this process of teaching is is in itself a set of skills and so i would suggest learning with from someone if you're interested in teaching find someone who can teach the same way if you're interested in fighting find someone who can fight actually you want to find someone who can teach fighting you want to learn to teach fighting find someone who can teach you how to teach so that's what what i would say yep we have a question regarding um, creative ways to complete the cycle of uh, practicing an evaluation. Do you have any creative ways to do that considering we're all in quarantine at the moment? How would you go about evaluating people and getting them on the right course? Um, I've been doing that the whole time. Uh, there's been, especially with, with doing Pell work, because Pell work is the one thing that um, that everybody can be doing at home on their own. Um, and I've had a couple of people on the, um, the 100 day Pell challenge thing that I, I've been kind of keeping an eye on. And, you know, I see that they're doing some stuff, especially if they mentioned that they were doing my stick mechanics. Um, those are people that I want to take a look at and make sure that, that, I mean, there's a couple of, couple of reasons, right? I want to make sure that they are doing the mechanics as I intended that to be done, but also it helps me as a trainer because if I see the mechanics that somebody is doing, if they're saying that they're using my stick mechanics and when I look at what they're doing, if, if, if it's not right, then that tells me that I need to go back and look at the video that I did and, and explain better, or, you know, I need to make some adjustments in that. So that's a way that I can, I can reevaluate myself as well. Um, but um, basically, you can you can send any of us uh, at the coach's corner. Uh, you can send us video, or you can post it in the coach's corner, um, and and ask for for input. Um, the only thing that I that I have to say about that is, um, you you can send me video privately, and I will review it privately. If you put it out on a page and you ask for input, you need to understand that you're going to get input from just about anywhere. But if I'm doing evaluation for you, it is going to be I am looking at your deficiencies and that may be uncomfortable for some people, but it's going to be very pointed. It's going to be very direct. It's not, it's not meant to be cruel, but it is what we refer to as a ruthless self-assessment. It is a very honest, straight up. So if you ask for my help, just make sure that you're ready for my help. Well, and if I can add something to that, since one of the virtues is veritas, honesty, and it's essential to be honest with yourself about yourself in order to progress in any of the other virtues like prowess it takes courage to be honest but it's how the virtues apply to fighting you have to be brave enough to be honest for this kind of assessment and i also teach uh pell work um i've developed some pell drills that are based on um, to in improving smoothness and developing precision. So <clears throat> I have a, a for example, and this, and the, 
you can tell your you can tell your progress in this by uh, how well you're able to do these drills with increasing precision and speed. For example, uh, I get a bunch of dowel rods and tape them to a pell in parallel with a certain distance apart and then have a student um, very slowly strike between the, the dowels without wavering, without hitting them and repeat that slowly focusing on smoothness and also the reverse angle, then increasing the speed gradually, then narrowing them and, and doing it again and starting slow, increasing the speed and narrowing it again, and then changing and changing the angle and doing it again and changing angle, doing it again, eventually to a point where the, the person doing the, the drill faces away from the Pell, a, a training partner, will tape the dowel rods to the Pell in, in some random position. And at a signal, the person has to turn around and strike the Pell between the dowel rods. So it's, but it's, it's building up to that kind of speed and precision. And you can tell if you're not breaking dowel rods, because when people start this, they break a lot of dowel rods, you're not breaking them, you have, it's, it's a kind of instant feedback. Are you improving or not? And by the way, if you're doing it, wear eye protection because broken dowel rods will fly. So be careful. But that's an example, a kind of drill that gives you some feedback. And so that's one of the things that people can do when they're by themselves. Great. So we do have a lot of questions. I just want to remind everybody we're working within a certain time frame tonight. We're trying to keep it close to an hour. Um, if you have questions that we don't get to, by all means, head over to the coach's corner, ask questions there, reach out. Um, they're wonderful. So be sure to check it out. And we do have a special guest appearing to ask his question in person. And it's going to be a surprise. Wow. There he is. <laughs> Exactly. The one, the only. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So, Cassis, so. the uh, shameless plug of the five methods episodes that you guys see. Um, I'm wearing the helmet because I'm a little bit scared of what's about to happen. So, just <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Um, my question is. Uh, for people like myself that don't have a local night or have access to somebody locally that's a higher caliber fighter, what would you guys suggest we do to to to, to help or to get that uh, input and feedback via remotely? Yeah, and I, I noticed in the uh, in the in the Zoom chat there that uh, that Antonio out in the east is uh, usually asked that question too. Hey, Rob. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean it's it's one of the biggest problems we have in our sport where you don't have access to the information that you need on a on a weekly basis. Um, and uh, my advice on that is uh, is well, first off, you need to make you need to make sure that you're you're making the best use of time that you get with those people. Um, and again, if that goes back to victory conditions and training process where. You know, if, if, uh, you know, Atelius, you came out to a practice out in November 
um, a household practice we had, and that's really kind of where everything changed for you. Um, and 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 the thing that I noticed about you you being here for that was you were just fighting. You know, you you were you know kind of coming out of obscurity, but you weren't. I never got the impression that you were like you're not trying to show me something, right? You're not trying to show me what a badass you are. Uh, you came came out here just totally open book. Um, you were you were really easy to to work with, and um, and of course you know between me and Floki and Timmer and Dunker, uh, you know, w with you having access to all of that in one day, um, and that kind of blew your mind. And then you went home and and went to work. Um, so make the best use of the time that you do get with those individuals. Um, but really the, the, the best thing you can do for you and for your group is to import. Um, and Vigor Brands already talked to me about coming out to, to where you're at. And I know, uh, I know Antonio is out on Long Island. Um, so Antonio, you can, you can hit up uh, a handful of the, the guys there. Um, I've, I've got a couple of suggestions to some folks I think can, can do that. And when this whole thing is over, you say, Hey, you know, can I, cause I know getting out to Long Island, there's like toll toll fees and fares and stuff and hey man we'll cover your we'll cover your tolls and uh coming out for for a day coming out for a weekend there's there's plenty of people in the city and in jersey plenty of people from the nutley practice because one of the things you get with that is you can have one person that goes to to the mountain as it were you can go have one person come out to to the big practice and maybe they get what they want maybe they they don't but whether or not they can take that information and take it home and and give it to their local people kind of depends on 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 um, on, on how, how familiar they are with training methodology but if you bring one of us out to you then suddenly we get you know you get all of your people get access to it um and and we can we can give more information to more of you. And once you understand again, the process, the training process, that's one of the things that I try to do when I go teach somewhere. I, there's only so much I can do in a weekend to fix all of your problems. So I'm not trying to make you better fighters in a weekend. I'm trying to make you better trainers in a weekend. I am trying to give you the tools that you need to do this work for yourself at home. Um, and then, you know, once you understand that process, then yeah, every once in a while, import somebody out there because all of us are going to, all of us will, we're, we're, we're it's our job. If I can add to that as well. Um, so when I mentioned before that the students, students have to be actively engaged in their own learning and there are, and also mentioned context. So there are some events, for example, or a lot of events, somebody will come up to me and say, hey, can you work with me on something? Can you show me something? I may ask them what they're working on, or maybe like there's a there's an event in the middle called the Tournament of Chivalry, which is nights all day there to teach and people come up to them for lessons. And when I've had, I've had, I tell my spires to take a notebook, write down whatever people tell you, because you're going to get a lot of different advice, and then come to me to help you interpret it and organize the content. But when I'm working with somebody and, I, and I'm doing that evaluation with them, seeing what they need to work on, <clears throat> I will make a adjustment or a correction or show them something 
and then have them repeat it and then have them go back to doing it the old way so they can physically feel the difference because this is kinesthetic learning. You're, you have to be able to student to be self-correcting, which is the, the goal. It has to be able to feel the difference. So then I'll have them do it correctly so that they can then have the kinesthetic feedback to feel the difference so that when they stand, they can feel their foot's in the wrong position or something. I also give them indicators. You know, you're doing this. If you feel this happen, that means you need to go back to adjust this. I also will find somebody, find out who they're training with, find somebody from their, their group um, or local to them, and I will go over this with both of them so they can then be each other's teachers and training partners and reinforce it for each other. Doing it just by yourself when you're remote is very difficult. You have to go to the teacher, you have to bring the teacher to you. But as Sean said, if you bring the teacher to you and the teacher works with several people, now you can all help each other. You're a cohort of learners who are reinforcing lessons for each other. And that's much more effective. So that's, yeah, what he said. So Atelius, you know, I'm going to like torture you for a minute here. What do you have coming up? Uh, five methods episode. So everybody needs to check that out. I'll make it quick. Uh, we've got uh, Duke Hans from uh, the West. He's coming up uh, next Thursday, a week from yesterday, or is today Thursday? Today's Friday. Yeah, so uh, the 21st, he'll be on at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So anyway, that's all I'm going to give you guys. I appreciate the feedback, and I hope that it helps some people out there that are experiencing similar problems that I am. So thanks, thanks guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. So we do have um, another question regarding how to prioritize any deficiencies that you may be seeing um, in regards to is footwork supposed to be dealt with if there's a deficiency there before stick mechanics. Um, how would you prioritize that? So um, the, uh, this is mentioned in a previous episode too that there's only so much you can you can work on at one time. I mean, at, at certain levels of your fighting, uh, really, I mean, that's down all of them. Um, uh, you know, what's, what's wrong with, what's wrong with your fight? Uh, everything, right. And the newer you are, um, the, the worse it is. I mean, and, and things are, yeah, every, everything is wrong. So you can't fix everything all at once. So, um, you, you, as far as prioritizing goes, first off, you can only, I, I, um, I would identify no more than three things that you could be working on at any, any given time. Uh, when you go to practice, you want to be working on one of those things and just keep the other two in the, in the back of your head as far as the next thing um, to, to work on. Um, so there's a, there's a couple of options. There's, you, can, you can either you know, fix the thing that is the biggest problem or you can fix a smaller problem that gives you more benefit. So there, there's sort of a cost-benefit analysis to that as far as, you know, how much time and how much effort, I mean, because if you can, you know, one of the things that I, I mean, one of my big soapboxes is, is offensive recovery. Um, offensive recovery in my eye, my mind, you know, when somebody throws a shot, 
not getting their stick back to their shoulder or their starting position. Um, offensive recovery is the single biggest failing in our sport. It's the one thing that people fail to do most frequently. Um, my experience has been that if you fix recovery, it that in and of itself fixes a lot of other problems. Um, and I'm not suggesting everybody goes out and just fixes that because your footwork may be big, a bigger problem than your recovery. I had one of my students uh, years ago where some of my some of my former squires and some of the, the the people that are practice said, Oh man, this guy's got a real problem with this. And I'm like, yeah, and that's, yeah, he does. And that's not even his biggest problem. So we're going to fix this other thing first, and then we're going to move on to the next thing. Um, so um, you got to kind of look at, you know, how, how big those problems are. And if they are a, a greater deficiency, then you got to fix that first. And if it's um, if it's a smaller deficiency, but you can fix it faster or it will, um, benefit you in other ways um then you got to kind of kind of go with that but basically fix one thing at a time whatever it is and i'd i'd like to add to that um i um i recall a, a situation where a fellow came up to me at an event and said hey could you can you uh work with me can you help me and and he i said okay took his stance and it was very odd it was it was all compressed it was very awkward and so i said well before we start let me adjust your stance here and because he was not balanced and his feet weren't under him and i straight i moved and when i finally got him adjusted the eye slot of his helmet the ocular of his helmet was up here he had adjusted to that by tilting his head down which meant he had to kick his hips forward just to be balanced. And I said, well, the problem here, we can't do anything until you address the equipment. So <clears throat> I agree with Duke Sean about get to the fundamental, get to the, fix the first thing first. Fix the thing we talked about, um, additive, uh, building on things and going back and building. You have to fix the, the, the foundation before you can address the other things. So I will do um, a head to toe equipment evaluation with somebody just to see if, if they can actually move, if they can stand properly, if they can, because if they can't, then trying to teach them how to do things isn't gonna work. So I'll, I end up addressing those things just to be able to get to the lesson about how to stand. You can't stand correctly if the equipment won't let you do that. And I've told students at times when they have progressed to a point where they need to, they need to upgrade their armor. I said, that's great. It's kind of a pain to have to do it, but it's great because it means you've progressed beyond the ability of your, beyond the, the, the limitations um, of your equipment. It's like a st student learning to play a violin starts with a student violin. And if they get good enough, eventually they advance to a higher level, higher level, and so on. So the equipment, I, I will often start with that. Then I, I've organized, I talked about organizing content. I organize content from the feet up. How, where are a person's feet? How are they standing? How are they moving? Because it, it builds on that. And then I'll keep bringing them 
up and and going back to the so additive in that way so address the biggest problem first address the biggest problem first you can have major benefits i had a um a student that was asked me to 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 work with him and i said well i could just see what he was doing i said well hang on a second let me look at your shield and i looked at his shield and it was just it was terribly balanced it was the it was incorrectly it was it was just too many problems i said we need to do this differently because you are fighting your own equipment and if you're fighting your own equipment you're already behind so start with the biggest problem first that's how i prioritize thank you we have one of our zoom viewers that is going to be joining us to ask their question and i am bringing them in now hello um i have a question um uh, it's also for me too but um when you're working on your stick mechanics and your footwork um when do you go from just doing your stick mechanics to incorporating the footwork to um, put it all together as a package. I know some guys are just like, you know, they're great on a pedal doing stick mechanics and, and they take one step with their foot and then everything gets discombobulated. Um, and the other thing is, um, I know like the West has uh, meet and beat and I know Sean and Artemisia, you guys have spring training. How do you get an event like that going where you can get a bunch of people to come out and do those things? We don't really have a lot of that in the East where it's, we have melee season from like the month or two after Burka until Penzik. So like, a, we don't do a lot of, you know, one-on-one -on -one training or um, it's mostly a lot of melee stuff. We're very melee centric here in the East. So how would that all um, kind of work out? So uh, the first part of that question, um, as far as your, your pal work and when to incorporate it, um, you know, I, I, um, and I'm pretty sure I've, I've sent you the, I, I may have talked to you about this, but the, essentially the compass drill along with the pell work and uh you do you you do those two things independently so that your your feet know how to walk and your stick knows how to throw um and then eventually you start uh, adding those two things in there so specifically the the footwork drill that i do the compass drill is just a point compass on the ground you take a step in all of those directions and um, what you can do from once you under, once you understand the motion and uh, with the footwork and you understand the stick mechanics, those two things have to you have to understand those independently. Then what you can do is you take one step, you, you follow out the compass with each of the five basic shots. So I'm going to take eight steps with the and throw a flat snap. So I'm going to go step, plant, throw. I'm going to throw the flat snap, and then I'm going to go back to start and position. So as far as when to do it, it's 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 when you feel comfortable with each of those as independent things. One of the things about training and, and, and the, the practice, the stuff that you're doing at home is all of the drills that we do, footwork drills, pell work drills, partner drills, um, all of these things we do starts off really slow so that we understand what those, those parts are so we can learn how to do those things. But ultimately the goal of the drill is to become more and more and more like live combat. Um, there is often a disconnect between pell work and live combat. 
some of that actually has to do with adrenaline and cortisol and the fact that somebody is actually trying to do bodily harm to you at the same time. And that's going to throw off a lot of stuff, which means you have to make sure that, that the practice you're doing is so ingrained in, in your body that, that you can't get that wrong. Um, but there is often that disconnect. Um, and so, so as far as when to do that, it's a matter of um, when each of, when the independent parts are solid enough that you can start incorporating them. Um, as far as, um, as far as meet and beat spring, uh, spring training, uh, you know, the, the spring training sort of thing is something we've been doing for at least 10 years here where, you know, it, it, it often starts with somebody that says, can I come to your house and do training? And, uh, you know, I'm always happy to have people come out whenever. And, um, you know, cause if you come to my house, not only do you get training with me, um, but, uh, as, as Atelius found out, you get training with, uh, Timmer and Floki and, um, you know, Lachlan and, and I mean, we have, we have some of the greatest trainers in the world right here. Um, and you know, I've, I've personally, I've, I've been to a lot of different places and people ask me to come in and teach. So when I, when I, when I tell people that I'm going to have 50 of the best fighters in the world in my backyard, it's 75 people show up. Um, so it kind of builds itself, but you know, it's also kind of one of those things where if you build it, they will come. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, it was adult swim last year when I talked to Edward, uh, Duke Edward about, uh, coming out doing some training and that's how I ended up, you know, coming up there to Boston in, in, in November. Um, and you know, and that's, that's kind of how it starts is you have, you know, um, you just, you can, I mean, you can. You can invite somebody to, to come out um, and, you know, or you can just set that up as a, as a regional practice. But one of the things that makes those kind of things successful is that they are not events. Um, and that comes with, you know, some certain considerations as well. But um, it's the fact that it's not an event, um, that there's no court to go to. There's no fees to do. There's, there's all this. We can just, we're just doing practice and we're just getting down to the business of fighting. Um, Adult Swim is kind of built on this, this same model. Um, so, uh, but you can, you can build it and, um, um, you know, just if, if you kind of build it as a regional fighter practice and then just throw, throw it out there. Um, cause you know, the, the one year that we had the really big one out here, uh, was after a smaller gathering that we had and everybody said, well, how come I didn't know? How come I didn't know? I'm like, okay, fine. You know, and I shotgunned it out to every list that I was on. And then that's when I had a hundred people in my backyard. But I've got five acres, so I can do that. Um, so that's 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 kind of kind of how it it develops and and builds. Uh, you know, and just if you if you make it for yourself, uh, you'd be surprised at the number of people that want to want to come out to that sort of thing. Okay. Eli, see you soon. Yeah, uh, what he said. I'm, I can't really add to that. Uh, there have been, I think that's how the the those kind of events started somebody said hey i really would like to get people together to do it and that's that's how it happened so uh i think there'd be a lot of support if you wanted to do something like that i think there'd be a lot of people once we are all traveling again uh to to do something i think it'd be interesting to map out where those types of events are and see because uh, you know, there's the Adult Swim and there's the several others. Where are they and where aren't they? 
and let's find where they aren't and maybe see if we can't start something in the places or find some people to start something in the places where they aren't. So nobody is more than, you know, a reasonable distance away from one of these types of events. Yep. Yep. That would be, that'd be cool to do. I, uh, do we even have a list? Sean, do you have a list of? No, you know, a lot of these things just kind of happen ad hoc. I know the ones that we do for, for, you know, spring training in the last couple of years is, is just kind of been on whatever fifth weekend we have in a, in a year. We were supposed to do one up in uh, Missoula, Montana, this uh, at the end of end of May this year, but of course that got canceled. But yeah, we were going to have folks from Avacal and Ontier and Artemisia and, and some other places. Um, you know, and, and that's the thing is you kind of build it as a, as a regional thing um, and it just kind of happens. And I'd, and I'd love to see a, a map and showing, yeah. identifying all these, not just a list, but a map and then figure out where, you know, where, where's something missing that needs something and identify that as an opportunity. Okay. Thanks guys. Thank you. Thank you. Um, just as a heads up to everybody, we have time for maybe two questions remaining, depending on how smoothly we run through the next one. So I'm going to bring on our next question. Joining us now. Hopefully, there we go. Hey, Matu. What's up, Sean? Sorry, I'm a little slow. Not, not too bad. Not too bad at all. Um, so the question, it's actually not for me, uh, my lady was asking, um, how do you deal with um, a mental, deficiency is not really the right word, um, you know, a mental hang up versus a physical deficiency, like say someone executes really, really well in, um, you know, during their public work or at practice, and then they show up on tourney day and maybe have a lack of confidence or aren't used to, yeah, you too aren't used to, you know, uh, fighting the people that they're fighting and they just have that, that freeze up moment and can't revert back to training. Uh, yeah. I feel like that's the way she wanted the question asked. All right. So, uh, as I was mentioning in Rob's question there, um, so there is this disconnect between work and, and, and practice and fighting. Right. Um, and you know it's it's one thing to hit a a you know wooden post that isn't trying to strike back at you it's something very different when you have uh somebody else uh actually you know trying to trying to do you bodily harm as it were um and uh, you know so one of the things to understand about that is um there's a there's a saying in 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 the, in the sports world that uh amateurs do it until they get it right and professionals do it until they can't get it wrong. Um, you need to have the components of your fight uh, so solidly ingrained in, in your body that you can't get them wrong. Uh, one of the questions I ask about this is, um, uh, you, do you know how to tie your shoes? Right? If you know, do you ever not know how to tie your shoes? Right? It's something we've been doing since, you know, since we were five years old. We know how to tie your shoes. Your body understands so well how to do that. Um, and and pell work has to be the same. Footwork has to be the same. Uh, defense drills, that's why we do the drills really slow. That's why we, we go through all that work. That's why we follow this process, is to get those things so that they are so completely a part of us that 
when you go to tournament or you go to any kind of sparring, right? So there's the deficiency training and then there's um, sparring, right? Uh, deficiency training is where you actually get to work on the things that you're that you, that you're trying to improve on your and isolating those deficiencies. Um, sparring is where you just have to let it go, and and we need to have that sparring as well because we need to have the sparring outside of a tournament environment because there's some emotional baggage that comes with um, with the tournament itself. That again, if you can if you can teach your body to simply execute your fight then you can deal with the emotional component of it of it later but you have to do the training to to get those so deeply ingrained in in who you are as a fighter um that uh, that it, it it makes it easier to to account, uh, account for the emotional side of it eli do you have anything on that yeah. um so uh years ago i started having uh, a tournament a little tournament at practice once a month to give people a chance to practice fighting in a tournament because that is getting used to to that in the same way that training somebody to authorize we would train them to to we'd have them run through an authorization fight again and again so they knew what to expect so when they got there it's like having practice questions for an exam. You, you knew what to expect. They knew how to do it. So it wasn't anything unexpected. But that doesn't mean that people won't still impose expectations on themselves that can be can be difficult to manage. And I, I, I more than one instance I recall when uh, I was marshaling an authorization fight and the person authorizing, I could see they were they were really tense they're really nervous and I stopped things and I just went to them I spoke quietly to them I said okay just close your eyes just close your eyes take a deep breath hold it let it out take a deep breath hold it let it out now open your eyes you know how to do this just relax do what you've been training to do fight your fight do this you you're good you got this and then they would fight and there'd be no problem and i and i reason i did that for people is that i had to do that for myself i would get very um anxious very um i i would get too excited or not nervous but that anxiousness was was um just too um, energetic, too excited, too. And I had to calm myself down because being too energized would throw off my timing and throw off my thinking. And through, so I had to breathe and calm myself, which I still do before a fight. Uh, and I still do. I'm as part of other martial arts training, I learned to, to meditate and because it, clears the mind and it helps you focus. And so there are a lot of techniques for feeling these kind of mental impediments to when, when that's getting in your way rather than the physical aspect uh, of, of, uh, of the fight. Um, there are lots of different techniques. 
people have to find the ones that work for them, whether it's meditation or breathing or, or practicing bef the tournament before the tournament or um, <clears throat> one of the other ones I tell students to always put their armor on in exactly the same way every time because that becomes a ritual, a physical ritual that helps the mind get into the proper state of mind for performing the, the skill. And so I do that in a, in a lot of different things. I always set the tools a certain way. I always set the paintbrushes or the, the you know, the what I'm working with or if I'm writing or if whatever I'm doing, if I'm fighting, always put the armor, always pack it a certain way, always unpack it a certain way, always do it because that ritual helps with the mental preparation. It helps you get into that relaxed but energized state of mind where you're only focused on what you're doing. You're not thinking about the next fight. You're not even thinking about, you're not going into a fight thinking I'm going to lose because you will. You're not going into a th fight thinking I have to win because you'll lose. You're not going into a fight thinking about the next fight. You're not going in, you're, you're only in the process and in the moment. And that takes, just like physical skills, that takes, which take practice, that's a, a psychological skill, a mental skill, and that takes practice as well. And there are a bunch of different techniques for that. Hey, hey Matsu, just uh, one other thing on that, um, victory conditions, right? When you're at practice or at tournament, your victory condition is, am I making progress on this one thing? And you're going to practice with the intent of working on a particular thing and getting better at that one thing. And victory conditions means that if you go to practice and you're working on a thing, any victory that you get in practice that does not some way include improvement in the thing you're trying to make better, you need to consider that a failure because you did not become a better fighter. You didn't fix the thing that is wrong. You didn't fix the thing that you're going to, to practice for. So setting those victory conditions and understanding what, what, what makes a win today. And sometimes the win is I got better at footwork. I got better at shield discipline. I got better. I threw a better flat snap, that sort of stuff. So going to practice, having better victory conditions really sets the tone for uh, what you consider to be a success. All right, Vesper, I think we've got time for maybe one more. Thank you, Grace. Did you yeah, does that answer the question? Yeah, it, you explained it way better than I, that you said the same thing I did, but better. <laughs> if you, That's why you hired me. <laughs> if you have any more questions or you'd like to talk about some of the, I know, we're the different techniques for mental preparation for that, please, you know, send me an email or chat me up on Facebook or something. Happy to share. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. We yeah, we have to. Do we have time for one more quick one? A quick one, super quick. It's actually a really good closing question. Um, the question is regarding documentation that either of you might have uh, in order to reflect back on what was said tonight. How would they access that? So over at the SCA Coaches Corner, I um, I published uh, in the file section, I published the, the, the basically snapshot uh, elevator pitch for, for my training methodology. So that's up in the file section on the SCA Coaches Corner. Um, and I'm still working on 
the the outline and details of the the content for lessons from the classroom for for teaching and i'll be once i have that i'll be posting that in the files area as well along with i've got a um, um, pdf of my a system i developed for sizing shaping and balancing a heater shield i'll post that as well i've been thinking about doing a, a video to go along with that um, which I, I hope to do as well but i think we'll be feeding content in there as as things go time as, okay. as this progresses and and also uh next friday here on sea coaches corner presents uh same bat time same bat channel uh, we are going to have uh, an episode on the need for speed. Uh, this is going to be Viscount Tristan and Duke Branos are going to be hosting an episode on um, on speed in our sport and uh, what to do with it, how to create it, um, and uh, how, to, how to handle it uh, when you're finding somebody that, that has it. So that's going to be next Friday, uh, same time, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern. Fabulous. Um, Duke Sean, Duke Eliyahu, would either of you mind posting a link, or I can do that as well on the group page, a link for the SCA Coaches Corner in case people need easy access? Uh, for for the episode next week? Um, just, just for your group, just to be able to access you through the group and the documentation that you... Mentioned. Oh, okay. Like I said, my the, the, the file that I have is on... The SCA. Um, that is on the SCA Coaches Corner. That's in the file section up there. Okay, and I will take care of putting a link to that group so you all have that access. All right, so I think we have covered basically, well, there's still a lot of questions. So I'm sure you'll have sure. a lot of people <laughs> asking you and questions. Again, we, we tend to go through the, uh, through the comments on the, on the live feed after this is over and we will uh, we'll answer, answer questions directly there as well. So, but if anybody's missed, uh, missed a question and you'd like to get back to us, you can, uh, you can either ask it on the SA Coaches Corner or you can, you can uh, contact us directly and we'll, we're happy to answer those questions. Wonderful. Thank you, Your Graces. I hope you have a lovely evening and we will see the SCA Coaches Corner back next week. All right. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you.